At People's Capital Group, we help you invest in real estate. Build your wealth by owning professionally managed apartment buildings in the northern New Jersey market. We want to show you how owning real estate is attainable, even for the busy professionals that don't have the time or experience investing in real estate. Now, we only work with select people who are serious about building wealth. So find out if you qualify at peoplescapitalgroup.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Passive Cashflow Podcast, where we help people invest in real estate. Some episodes include interesting guests that span dozens of different types of industries, like today we have Taylor on the show. Other episodes offer analysis of popular topics that pertain to people seeking to learn how to build passive wealth in real estate. So listen in and enjoy our off-the-cuff podcast made to entertain, educate, and help you learn how to create passive wealth in real estate. All right. So today we have Taylor Lote on the show with MT Capital Passive Wealth Strategy Podcast. I had the honor of joining your uh, podcast uh, a few uh, weeks ago. I love the show you put on. We also did a webinar together, which was a great engagement. You really have a good group over there. I like what you're doing. Uh, so I want to bring you on our show here and learn about how you got started in real estate, how you're bridging that gap from a general partner, uh, well, you started as a limited partner, then you moved into being a general partner. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And um, just how you kind of found that passion for real estate and how to get this get up and go and uh, create a real estate fund, which I know you're working on as well. So lots of things going on. How are we doing today, Taylor? Doing great. I want to thank you for having me. Love that uh, introduction and the, the format of the show is, you know, very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We keep it really uh, off the cuff here. I like to say we're like Joe Rogan, but we get half as many hits. So uh, we're, we're still working on getting that million mark, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Spotify called me. I didn't call him back. Ah, I said, okay, no, I don't. Sure. Yeah. I said, put another zero on it, but yeah, that's how we roll here. But no, man, it's great to have you in the show here. So yeah, I really like how you, um, you know, you got stars, a limited partner, and then you found the, the strength and the courage to get into being a general partner. And for our listeners out there, so a limited partner is someone who is a passive investor. They're not generally having voting uh, uh, options. They don't make day-to-day -day decisions. Um, they're simply investing their capital as a passive investor, enjoying probably updates on their investment, hopefully quarterly checks or a big check at the end of it. And uh, of course, a GP, a general partner is the opposite of that. That individual is making those day-to-day -day decisions. I'm a GP. I run People's Capital Group. Seth Martinez, is my business partner. He's the other GP. So we're general partners. We're making decisions day-to-day. And so most people are participating in an LP position, a limited partner, a passive investor, but jumping into a, a GP is a really big difference. Um, but so talk to me a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning. What first encouraged you to make the leap as a limited partner, plunk down your hard-earned capital? That's an interesting question. And uh, I suppose it, it, it makes the most sense if I rewind the clock and, and help the listener understand a little bit more about my thoughts, uh, thought process and just who I am kind of naturally. And, and I had this realization the other day that I'd always been thinking and telling people, which is true, that ever since I had two nickels to rub together when I graduated from college and got a big boy job, that 
I was always try- looking for ways to turn that into more and get my money working for me. And I read The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham and got into the public markets and all that. But that actually was not when I first got started trying to turn money into more money. Rewind the clock even more. I am old enough to have not only one, had a job at Sears, mm. two, I was uh, back back in the area era when you could actually make some kind of return or money or get decent amount of interest from a bank by just putting your money in the bank. I'm I'm that old. It's it feels crazy to say because I'm in my thirties, right? I'm not an old guy, but <laughs> we don't live in that world anymore. So ever since I I was making money, I was trying to turn my money into more money. And in my mid twenties, I was you know, getting into my career thinking, how can I get to, you know, a financial position that I'd like to be in, right? Earn, earn much more money than, than a career, the career was, was taking me. And uh, I read rich dad, poor dad, like so many other real estate investors out oh, yeah. there. That was, that's what got me into real estate. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was looking for my path. I spent a couple of years networking. I was looking at doing an MBA program, took the GMAT and all of that. And uh, then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and that, that changed my trajectory. Got to networking in real estate. Eventually I learned about real estate syndication. And that is just, I was like, that's what I want to do. I don't want to flip houses. I don't want to do burrs. I want to be in real estate syndication. And mm. it's just the the scale really speaks to me. We can work with so many others. We don't have to do aspects or, or parts of the business that are kind of, I don't know, if you will, icky, I don't want to manage the property. I don't want to cl- unclog a toilet. I don't want to. Oh, I got my gosh. Yeah. We can uh-huh. hire people. So I I had had capital uh, saved up over years of just living frugally and investing in the market and all of that. And uh, knew I wanted to get into real estate syndication, went networking, eventually met a number of syndicators and and just went for it with my first LP uh, investment because you got to get started somewhere. And, yeah. uh, you know, went mm-hmm. into it. You know, it's funny you tell that story. I remember when I was probably like 12 years old or something, my parents had a condo in um, Franklin, New Jersey, and we would go there and, and paint it every time a tenant turned over or something like that. And mm-hmm. I, I would look, it was, it was a big, like 300 complex condo. And I always say, man, I don't know how, I don't know how it's done. I don't know why, but I want to, and I will own one of these one day. And, uh, and I didn't even know what real estate was back then. I was a kid, you know, I just always like had the passion to own apartment buildings. Um, and, uh, you know, I've read rich dad, poor dad as well, you know, did did all those things also. And, uh, it's, it's kind of incredible though. I think that that story sparked that memory. Um, and I said, Oh, you know what? Maybe I guess I am doing the right thing. You know, (laughs) even as a kid, I dreamed of that. And even when you don't know how, uh, you know that you want it and uh, you, you know, there's a passion there, but that's really cool. And um, so you, you found an, a good uh, general partner through networking and you uh, found a good deal there uh, through that general partner. And uh, so was it an apartment building the first uh, investment you made? So it was actually two apartment buildings. And I, as, as a response to what you said about your experience with your parents, because I had a very, very similar experience before I started, uh, years before I considered becoming a real estate investor. But when I was in my first professional job, which I hated, by the way, it was just the mm. super wrong fit for me and not, nothing about the people I was working with, perfectly fine people, fine company, 
but it was just the wrong fit for me and I was a wrong fit for it, but I still showed up and still did the work, but I hated it. And one morning I was, uh, driving to work, uh, and, and leaving my apartment, you know, townhome drove past the office that, you know, manages big, the townhome community. And I just happened to see there was an Audi. I remember it as an A8 parked at the office. And I just thought to myself, I remember thinking to myself, I am so sure that's the person who owns this complex. I don't even, I don't have any data to support that, but it's sure not somebody who lives in this complex. Right. That's the owner. There's no other A8s in the parking lot. No. So. <laughs> no. And I, I love cars. I'm, I'm, I don't own a fancy car. I have a decent car, but I've just always liked cars, especially Audis. They're, they're beautiful yeah. cars. And that just stuck with me. So I had a very uh, similar experience to that. Um, but anyway, regarding my first investment, yeah, that was two apartment complexes acquired by a, uh, a real estate you know, syndication team. And that uh, deal actually ended up uh, taking a, a left turn. I, I learned a very interesting lesson from that deal if we want to. Uh, sure. Yeah. Tell me the lesson, man. I don't want to hear about your successes. I want to hear about your failures. They're far more interesting for our listeners and you learn a lot more from them. So, so let me hear about this left turn. This is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the syndicator who ran that deal, I I just want to get a few things out of the way to make sure I'm, you know, disclosing or or covering the bases here. The syndicator who ran that deal has been on my show and we talk about this on my show and uh, we did end up actually making money on this deal, although not as much as we had expected. And I think the syndicator handled the situation very well, all things considered. So I, I want to make sure we, you know, cover that. That I'm not I'm not trashing anybody, you know, in that in that deal. Understood. Understood. The short version is, you know, we we closed on the properties, bought the properties, and then after a few months, the specific specific timeline I don't recall, but after a few months, the the syndicator general partner discovered some irregularities in the financials or the paperwork that led him to the conclusion that the property manager was misbehaving with the finances if you will it's, i don't <laughs> want to use a specific term but you know not treating our money in the way that uh he should have misappropriating funds if you will uh, yes. if you will yes and okay. that was normally that that's a, just a problem, right? You have to fire the property manager, get things yeah. in, in line and I've done that. Yeah. take care of it. Right. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. an unfortunate situation, but there's mm-hmm. damage control that you can, you sure. can, mm-hmm. this was complicated by the fact that the property manager or the, the gentleman who owned the property management company mm-hmm. had general partnership ownership in the deal. So that makes him a lot harder to fire. Oh, geez. Is the short version. Right, right. That led to you know, legal battle, arbitration, and uh, that gentleman actually um, ended up taking his own life toward the, the end of the- Oh, my god! Yeah, it's really, really serious tragedy, right? And, Whoa. you know, our uh, the, the general partner, again, I, I think he handled the, the situation very well. Um but it was it was a long battle, and mm-hmm. that is not the only circumstance that I've seen where a property manager having general partnership ownership in a syndication mm-hmm. ended up being a big issue um, mm-hmm. because if they misbehave, they're a lot harder to <laughs> to 
terminate. You know, it's one thing if, right. if the property manager is is doing the deal and right, they're mm-hmm. kind of running the whole thing, or if, if they're a subsidiary of the general partner, then there's still mm-hmm. things that can be involved. But if it's like a quasi third party, yeah. I've just seen that blow up right more often than not. You know, yeah. I mean, the management of the real estate is the most important thing. Uh, you know, you can maybe, you know, you want to make your money when you buy, but perhaps I've overpaid a little bit for properties in my experience. And that, you know, usually you can make up for it by maybe keeping your costs down or the market does better anything. Or there's mistakes you can make in real estate that are kind of salvageable. The mismanagement of the property in general or hiring the, hiring the wrong management company, firing them, putting in place a new management company, that's the biggest challenge to deal with. Right. And, and it's all about the management, you know, because you essentially when you're investing in a piece of real estate, you're investing in a business, a small local business that's going to be run by the property management company. So the most important thing is who's running the building. And it's so that's we recognize, too. So I fired a management company that was nationwide. You would know them if I, I told you them they just were not doing what they said they were going to do. They're like 70 percent collections. And we were like, you promised us 95. And they're like, well. It's South Jersey for you. We're like, what does that mean? So, <laughs> gosh, really bad opinion of South Jersey they had. So, <laughs> then we hired another. Can you blame them? No, okay. no, we hired another property management company and uh, they actually ended up stealing money from us. It was a small mom and pop company and um, we uh, had a lot of challenges with them. We took them to small claims court and we won the case. And we were one of the first companies to be paid out of this fund that was created for real estate, uh, and, you know, real estate um, people that are stealing funds from others in the real estate industry or, or um, you know, getting to suit in those cases and wow. losing. The, so the fund was there to kind of pay out to individuals like our, or companies like ours, because what happens when you win a civil case is, you may have won the case, you may have got the judgment, but then you have to collect. And chances are, if they're, you know, a scrupulous individual that, you know, puts you in that place in the first place, then you're, they're not going to pay out and you're going to have to chase them in court <laughs> after court after court. So instead, this fund was able to pay out to us very quickly. So anyway, overall, it was a good experience. We learned a lot from it. It forced us to develop our own property management company around 2015. Uh, we were around 50 doors or so then. So we had like just enough to kind of make sense of it financially. Although for years, it's, it's been a, a, a lost leader. Um, still to this day, the management of the real estate actually costs a little bit more than we charge uh, so that you know, it's not a profit center for us. We make our, our profit through um, acquisition fees and ownership of real estate primarily. Uh, so we need to perform to get paid, right? We need to close on the deal. We need to make a cash flow, get our refinance mark done, you know, to pay ourselves and eat ourselves. So it's a nice win-win structure. But boy, that management company has been uh, our a competitive edge. It's allowed us to have much better control of our assets. You know, it's a lot different when the company that is the people you hire, they're your employees as opposed to a third party company, or there's like one GP who kind of like is all in charge of that. And the other GPs are kind of not in on like, which was your situation there. Uh, For us, like the GP is the management and it's all one. So uh, we want to make sure that of course, not only we're transparent, but we also have a separation of powers. We have a whole third party bookkeeping firm, uh, accounting firm that does all of our bookkeeping, all of our tax prep, so there's multiple different uh, eyes on, on the situation. There's a separation of powers. And, you know, there is a third party accounting firm that oversees everything as well. Uh, that's not affiliated with People's Capital Group. So 
nice separation of powers there to make sure everything's uh, above board. Uh, but man, that's a crazy story. Uh, and it's a sad story with, with the suicide yeah. in as well. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, I, I don't want to get too much into that, but that is not a reason. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tragedy. I mean, the only thing exactly. is, you know, the money aside, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say, you know, I'm, I'm sure he had, you know, a family that was affected by that. And, you know, my mm-hmm. heart goes out to them because there's, there's more to life than, you know, money, of course. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think, I think if we were in a down market, you know, at the time that the macroeconomic, you know, the fundamentals were, were in our favor, I'm not sure we would have made money on that deal. Frankly, mm-hmm. I think we were really helped out by the market for, you know, many, many reasons, but sure. really good learning opportunity. And, and like what you did at your company, you know, many syndicators, general partners have brought their property management in-house, not all. And, and I think there are pros and cons to both, but yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. it seems like for many teams, they've determined that uh, was a smart move. So. You know, it just made me nervous thinking, okay, here I am putting my reputation on the line, raising all this capital because I'm in the fundraising space. So I'm out there doing this podcast and webinars and speaking on on stage. My reputation is everything. So it's, you know, the model of syndication is you raise the capital, you put your name on the line, and then you hire a third party management company to manage everything from A to Z. And I get that. The benefit of that is it opens up many markets and now you can invest in all different types of states and all different types of markets. And and that is nice. And I, I get that. Um, the limitation of our in-house management company is that, you know, ge- geographically, we can only go so far from Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. Now, we happen to love this market here in North Jersey. We know it very well. Uh, we have our boots on the ground, our, our great realtors and wholesalers and contractors, and it's taking years to get to where we are. We know landlords that bring us deals. So, you know, I mean, it just this experience of building this whole network and infrastructure here. I can't imagine starting fresh in a, another market. Uh, <laughs> in fact, the webinar I did with you was about starting fresh in another market and how hard that was. And it was almost like, uh, you know, realizing how, what you have when you already have your infrastructure in place. So that really reminded me when I went and started in a fresh market, even though we had a lot of the resources of people's capital group behind us, it was still the, the boots on the ground, the people that do the day-to-day work, you know, are so important. And those relationships are so important. All those independent contractors that uh, not having that book of business is, is just so uh, such a, a weak point that it was so hard to get started in a new market. But yeah, so I, I really, um, so at that point, you invested as a uh, LP in a deal. It wasn't perfect. You had your challenges. You learned a lot from it. And then you became a general partner on a deal. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And we ended up selling that uh, property um, last year in 2021. But yeah, we bought it in 2019 and, you know, rode the road through COVID. And that was uh the, the experience of, you know, um, being on the phone with the property manager every week and especially it was a C-class property. So, um, you know, that, that has its own challenges, mm-hmm. the, the experience of talking with the property manager, the boots on the ground, the, the gals in the office really just drove home the importance of those people in this business, right? Because they, they're the ones that have the relationships with the tenants and they are, really impacting the tenants willingness to you know work with us to get uh, take it take advantage or or uh, of those various you know rent relief programs that were made available through covid during the eviction moratorium and that 
really helped us keep the collections up because, you know, I don't know about you or the listeners out there, but when the eviction moratorium was announced and hey, nobody has to pay rent anymore, I was freaked out, you know, mm. before that money was available. I mean, these bills have to get paid. People in the office still want to get paid. Plumbers still want to get paid. Everybody in your business that maintains the property and all of that still needs to get paid, you know, before we can make a return. So there, that was a big concern, right? But the, I think the make or break for us in that deal and a lot of others out there came down to the people in the office who were working with our tenants to help them through those programs. Yeah, what a crazy time, right? Two years ago, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Almost, right? <laughs> and what, I mean, I wonder if history will look back on that time and say, what an injustice to the Constitution of the United States of America. I mean, private property rights is literally one of the cornerstones of America and the idea that we're free from the government, free from tyranny, free from the, the King of England, you know, and it's it, it, like that's history 101 here, people, you know, and to the for the CDC, not even like the government, the, the CDC now decides what all landlords can do, like the amount of power they had all of a sudden was incredible and really crazy. I just can't believe it. And and still with everything, you know, the amount of power, like, and the, still the fear that they instilled in our society to be able to just take your uh, your freedoms away so quickly. I mean, in a matter of a week, we went from being small business owners that owns, you know, $20 million in assets to, uh, oh, well, are these really assets? Because if I can't collect rent on them, then what are they worth? You know, they, they completely <laughs> changed the game. Now, luckily, we were able to work with our tenants and most of them were cooperative and did pay rent. Uh, the ones that got COVID or lost their job or ran into hardships, we connected with uh, government resources mm-hmm. and nonprofit companies to help them. Um, you know, get paid out there. And those resources did come through in time. And we were able to, uh, you know, actually do pretty well collections overall and get a, a lot of those back due rents were paid up in full. Um, so I think at our worst month, we were at 87% collections. Now we're back up to our usual 97, 98. And uh, so, it, but it was a scary time. I, I think, honestly, I probably have a little bit of like PTSD from it or something, you know, looking back on that. I mean, we were so scared the, you know, the media was saying, Oh, 2 million people were going to die. You know, if you get this, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to die, you know? And like, you know, we figured out as time goes on, well, actually, you know, the majority of the people that are dying are over the median age of death. Meaning uh, they were literally at that point where they're older than the average age we die at. And that's where the majority of the people were dying. So if we really knew that off the bat, it was like, well, maybe we shouldn't shut down the whole economy, you know, shut down the whole place. You cannot pay rent. You know, that's fine. You know, but of course we didn't know at that time. And uh, even as the data came out though, the rules didn't change. I think just recently have a lot of the mandates been lifted and uh, the mask rules been lifted. So it's, it's crazy. I don't know if you could tell which, uh, how I feel about the <laughs> well, I, I certainly can, <laughs> but you know, there's a, there's a lot there, right? Regarding the all the shutdowns that happened, I mean, given the knowledge that what we didn't know at the time, I think that was a lot of that was probably the right move because if you don't know how bad it is, but it also looks bad, then it's better to overshoot in in terms of a quarantine and and the mm-hmm. trying to keep it contained, right? Because if we don't know, we have to be super careful, but. You know, it was only a couple of months till I was 
personally, you know, back out at, at jujitsu, but, you know, regarding the, the eviction moratoriums and all of that, and the shutdown of the economy, we're really bearing the cost for that now, because what we, you know, what the fed really, what the government decided to do when we shut down the economy was to fire up the money printer, devalue the money. And that's always going to cause inflation, right? They handed out a bunch of money to wall street, to people, you know, to a lot of us, right. For the, from the, Paycheck Protection Program to all the you know QE that they did to you know just sending people checks is that just devalues the dollar right and and we're gonna be seeing that cost you know here over the next who knows how long right it's hard to predict that but everybody's asking about the next crash of X Y Z and really strong inflation like we're seeing now is a crash in the value of the dollar and I think that's something that we as investors or, or, or people in general, we might not think about that in that those terms, that inflation is a, a crash in the value of the dollar, or at least a significant inflation, right? They target you know 2% or whatever the Fed does. But um, when we see what we're seeing now, that's just the, the dollar follow, falling apart. We saw that after Nixon closed the gold window and effectively defaulted on the country's debt. You know, markets kind of really went up fast, and it's because the value of the dollar went down really fast, right? And right. we're seeing something something very similar now. Now, whether uh, Jerome Powell is you know Paul Volcker in you know 2022, sure. I don't think so. I, I don't think he's going to do a Volcker, but I also don't know, right? We can only deal yeah. you know, with the cards that were dealt. Yeah, of course. I think the Fed has been irresponsible. Uh, in, uh, in in tapering, I think they've been way too gentle on that. Yeah, on the whole situation, I think they printed way too much money, and uh, but that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, a- absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, it is a shame. You know, kind of uh, there wasn't enough forethought at the time to think, okay, if we just shut everything down and just hand everyone a check. First of all, it messed with the whole American concept that we work for our money. You know, when I when we got that PPP payout, I was like, what? I mean, how does where this money come from? You know, and then these, the other checks that everyone was getting. I mean, it was it was a weird mindset. And I, I still think I have friends and, and siblings that are kind of stuck in that mindset of like, well, money's not real because everything's shut down. I just got a check in the mail, you know, or, or just move back home or you know, and it's it did kind of indicate to all of us like, yeah, you, um, you know, we, we, it's just like you, we control you completely. We're the government. We tell you when to go to work, what to do. We're going to tell you to sit home, shut up, and we're going to pay you to do that. But by the way, it's money, your money we're borrowing, you know, to do that. So, you know, but don't look here. Don't look here. Celebrities, you know, look at Will Smith. He, he slapped <laughs> a guy. Ah, Will Smith, you know, so. It's amazing how the media gets us to turn our heads to these shiny things while the, literally the feds are stealing money from us. Uh, if you have your money in the savings account, like a lot of, uh, unfortunately, people, uh, you know, the the um, for the first half of the uh, the wealth of America, right? Most people keep their money in a savings account, right? Mm-hmm. The, the poor to moderate income individuals keep their money in a savings account. It the, the stock market and real estate investments on the scale that we do it are really for the accredited or sophisticated investors and more wealthy individuals, upper middle class options. So unfortunately, if you're in middle class or lower middle class or the poverty line, these crazy low interest rates of the savings banks are just taking money from the people that need it the most. And um, so inequality has grown from this. 
uh, it's been um, really an interesting, interesting experiment. And uh, I think we're still figuring out the ramifications of it. Bottom line is own real estate, though, right? Because the real estate's going up. Uh, Don't pay too much for it. Be smart when you buy it. Manage it well. Um, But I, I, you know, my crystal ball uh, for real estate values, and I'll ask you about your crystal ball in a second, says that we have so much demand, so much demand. They're just not making enough housing to keep up with the demand, at least here in North Jersey. And I know a lot of other uh, densely populated states as well are seeing this, that, boy, even if like the demand ticks down, you know, a, a fair amount from the raising interest rates and just uh, weary inflation, uh, lack of consumer demand, it, it, it's still, the demand is so strong and the supply is so small that it's going to take a really large correction for things to go the other way. I think prices are just going to stop growing so quickly. We're going to reach a, a wall. But then again, my, my partner is very bullish on inflation saying, you know, inflation is going to keep on boosting values up and all indications say, well, yeah, inflation, the one of the biggest effects is real estate values. You know, we see that continue to grow. So real estate is a good hedge against inflation as the cost of our debt lowers and the value of our building hires, uh, again, you know, raises. It's a really nice combination for us uh, landlords and property owners. But um, what does your crystal ball say about the future real estate markets? So, that's a very complicated question. And I'll go through a few of, of my thoughts. So you mentioned about housing shortages in most markets, which is definitely true. You know, in, in the lion's share of say major cities out there, there's just not enough housing for the demand, especially over the next, say, five to 10 years, is mm-hmm. you know, we can kind of see what's going to be built and there are going to be more people slash families than there will be places for them to live in most areas, which is a a big problem. And that supply demand imbalance does tend to push prices upward. But another counterpoint to that is interest rates are going up very, very fast, especially on debt. And that I don't think we're headed toward another great recession. I think that was kind of a a black swan event. There were a lot of things that that had to happen. Mm -hmm. But by my estimation, by my read of the situation, the Great Recession was not caused by, say, a massive oversupply of real estate. It's not that every city out there hugely overbuilt. We had a huge oversupply of real estate and there was just too much housing and the demand fell off. Really, what happened is interest rates went up. Wall Street wasn't ready for that to happen because of Mm -hmm. you know a lot of fraud and other things that that happened out there, right? Mm -hmm. And that caused a crash in the capital markets. So the capital markets are really, and to my estimation, what caused the the Great Recession. It was less a real estate thing and, and more a capital markets thing. And yeah. subprime lending and then betting subprime lending and yeah. everything yeah. happening with you know all the security securitized debt that I'm certainly not an expert on, but I, I try to understand. Yeah. And can the, the, I think the question is can a disruption of the capital markets happen again? Of course, that happens every 10 years or so, you know, if you, you know, give or take. Mm -hmm. So I, and and then, okay, another aspect here is, so I have my investor hat on, but I also have my person who lives in the world hat on, right? And my fiance and I own the home where we live now, but we want to upgrade. We want a little more space. We want, you know, bigger yard and all those kinds of things, more amenities, live in a different part of town, blah, blah, blah. So we've been shopping for the last, 
four months or so, maybe five months. And I've been keeping an eye on the market, but we didn't get serious until this year in 2022. Mm -hmm. We live in Richmond, Virginia. I don't know if you mentioned that earlier. And we're getting a lot of transplants from uh, up in Jersey and uh, Northern Virginia and all that. Yeah. The housing market, single family housing market is an absolute wreck. Um, We're putting in, we've frankly, we've stopped because of how awful it is. I'm just not going to spend my time on it. We're going to stay where we are and worry about it later. And once things kind of calm down, but the market is insane. People are offering way over asking price. And as interest rates go up, it seems to be by my observation, people are just getting more desperate. And again, this insane housing, single family housing market is going to force more renters to remain renters. It's going to prevent people from going from being renters to uh, going to being homeowners, which is sure. which is a big, I, that, I think that puts upward pressure on rents pretty significantly. So there are a lot of things to consider. I think I, I am expecting inflation to continue a little while longer, but really tail off depending on how aggressive the Fed gets with interest rates. I mean, we just kind of are where we are with those. Yeah. Um, I think- the increasing interest rates for the next year or so, if if they stick on the path that they're projecting, mm-hmm. I think that's going to cause some kind of problems out there. It it, it, mm-hmm. it almost has to. Plus, they're yeah. they're doing quantitative tightening. They're going to start reducing their balance sheet. Yeah, that's important. Something too. something's got to give. I think there right. will continue to be opportunities. Real assets like real estate, uh, especially income producing real estate, I think mm-hmm. are are still a good place to invest if you're doing the right kinds of deals that can yeah. deal with economic disruptions. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's dangerous to get too bullish on any one asset class because then you get you know brazen and you get this mentality like we had before the Great Recession. Well, really I mean, well, changed. just to clarify though, Bitcoin can never go down. So <laughs> I'm sure, if you invest in Bitcoin, you're good to go. So I, I do own some Bitcoin and other cryptos. I think they're an interesting, um, uh, interesting change the market, but they're also very speculative in my mind. So those are some of my, some of my thoughts about it. I think it's still, I think real estate in general, especially income producing real estate in the long run will Mm. remain a great place to invest in the short run. We need to be prepared for these increasing interest rates and and whatever knock-on effect they're going to have on the economy. It's going to happen. I just Mm. don't know when or what, but it has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a good analysis because it is confusing, right? Because I just bought a home my, myself with my, for my family here, primary residence, and I uh, just outside of Flemington, New Jersey. And uh, I snagged it. I mean, I, I don't know mm-hmm. how I think I got a little lucky. Uh, I'm a pretty darn good negotiator also. Uh, you know, I kind of came in strong. I put a lot down. I wasn't one of those FHA buyers. I, you know, had my little brag sheet. I've done 250 transactions. I got $20 million portfolio. Oh, they have to be careful saying that because then they'll yeah. be like, oh, you could pay whatever you want. I'm like, that's not really how that works. So, uh, but I snagged it. I came in strong and then I negotiated very hard after the um, repair inspection, uh, the home inspection, and um, got a great credit, ended up getting it for below list price at the end of the day. So I'm not saying I'm a, you know, a really good real estate investor, but if, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding there. So uh, no, that was really good. So I snagged the deal you know, for good property, a little bit of a, you know, needs a little um, tightening up here and there, but uh, that's how you get a good deal in real estate, right? So, uh, but it was crazy. I mean, I probably put in a few offers before, maybe like five or six offers. I didn't go too crazy. A lot of properties I'd go to and they'd be like, we have 18 offers. And I'd be like, no, nope. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's not worth it. It's crazy. Some of them, you're hanging off a cliff, you know, other ones like in the flood zones. Um, one was like this tiny little home on a good lot, but people were paying like as if it were twice the size of, you know, what it really was. And and I got caught up in the hype too. You know, I, I got excited on some properties too. And um, I got excited on the cryptocurrency, you know, I put it, I bought a Bitcoin <laughs> at 30, it doubled. Nice. I put in another 30. Now I'm back to zero. So <laughs> that's where we are in the cryptocurrencies. Range. So yeah, definitely, um, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to find gains right now in the market, right? Do you just dip it in, dump it into an index fund and hope the market keeps going up? Like that's not really a great bet right now. You know, do you put it in cryptocurrency and Hope, you know, all the hype is right. Like, mm, I don't know. It didn't work out for me. I think real estate I, and a lot of people, I, I know a lot of other people coming to our website saying, you know, listen, I'm, I've been in the stock market my whole life. I was told that owning index funds is diversification. 2008 proved otherwise. Uh, and I'm ready to now own some apartment, but they make sense to me, right? I'm trying to buy a home about, you know, I live in an apartment or they own a home. They, they see how hard it is. So um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you that, you know, we're going to face some headwinds. Ultimately, we have to at some point, we need a market that we can get deals in. Uh, if the market is this difficult, this much of a seller's market for, you know, too long a period, then it's just going to be harder and harder to get deals. So the market is going to cycle at some point back to a buyer's market phase one. There's four phases in the market, as you know, buyers phase one, buyers phase two, sellers phase one, sellers phase two. We are in a seller's phase two now. We're at the tip of the iceberg. The only way to go is, is, is down here. So I don't see values though, like just dumping out because you know inflation is so strong, demand is so strong. Yes, values have to stop growing at eight to 10, 12% a year. It's not sustainable, but you know, are they probably just gonna kind of stagnate downward? That's more my opinion. But who really knows? I think you know, markets are markets too. You're gonna have certain markets that are gonna get nailed pretty hard. Um you're going to have other markets, like in my opinion, North Jersey is a high demand market and you're going to keep your demand there and keep probably keep your values pretty strong. So who knows where we go? Uh, I don't think high end condos is a smart place to be. I don't think office space is particularly smart or even retail right now, right? And apartment buildings are very tried and true. Buy it for the right price, have value add opportunity in the building, make you know changes to the building that you can control that really improve the value and the rent collection and and that's going to be a sure uh, pathway to success um, as we focus on. But uh, Taylor, I know you have to go pretty soon. I do as well. It's been great chatting with you. How can people uh, learn more about you and your fund and your podcast, which is awesome, by the way? How can they get in touch with you? Sure. Great. So uh, kind of our landing page for, for everything uh, about me that you can get to is escapingwallstreet.com, Yes. C-A-P-I-N-G, wallstreet.com. That'll take you to everything, whether registering for our monthly webinar, we have another one coming up second Tuesday, every uh, every second Tuesday at 8 p.m., getting our top six ways to escape Wall Street and build wealth on Main Street, blog posts, all of that. Um, you did mention about my business. We're actually not doing our own funds. We're raising for other folks' deals, got securities licenses and all of that to uh, get that taken care of. You can also find out more about that, escapingwallstreet.com. Join our investor club, go to that link, fill out the form, schedule a call with me and all that. Check out the podcast, The Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Tell me you heard me here. I'd love to, uh, love to hear some uh, feedback from folks. And uh, if anybody has any questions, I'm uh, 
I'd say a relatively open book. I want to thank you for uh, having me on the show today. It's uh, fun to be in the interviewee side. I, I so rarely get to do this part. So uh, <laughs> it's always fun talking about yourself. Absolutely. No, it's great. It's great. That's why I do this. I actually, I'll just sit here and talk about myself for another 20 minutes after this. I don't even record it. It's just fun. <laughs> no, good. So no, thank you so much, Taylor. And of course, uh, to our listeners, if you want to learn more about People's Capital Group, enjoy more of our podcast episodes. I think we're almost up to episode 90 now, or check out our educational videos there as well. We do a weekly blog post, a weekly webinar, a weekly uh, podcast, monthly webinars, and we have just tons of content on our website, peoplescapitalgroup.com. So we're in the New Jersey space. So if you want to get into New Jersey apartment buildings, peoplescapitalgroup.com is a place, a great place to go. If you want to look at more of what Taylor has and his deals all throughout the uh, the country here, uh, where, where do you primarily focus? Uh, oh, we're kind of all over Sun Belt, Southwest, mm-hmm. uh, some some in the the Midwest. We we work with a number of different uh, syndication groups and. Um, you know, apartments and self-storage are my two favorite asset classes right now. Cool, cool. So then you can go check out uh, Taylor there at escapingwallstreetcasino.com. Is that correct? No casino, just escapingwallstreet.com. Although maybe I should go buy that other domain. Not that expensive. <laughs> the casino known as, the, as Wall Street. I love when you say that as your introduction to your podcast. That's That's a great line. Thanks. Very cool. All right, listeners, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Passive Cashflow Podcast. Hit subscribe and check out our other content. Enjoy your day.